The OG3 is here, kinda, in and out, because Emily is here, Bradley <laughs> here. Is, is driving, uh, and he's cutting in and out. So we'll see how much we get to hear from Bradley. Hopefully it's not very much. Or very I'm much. here, I was doing great work for dairy farmers in southwest Minnesota today, so I'm, yes. I'm happy today. Shout out to our local educator down there, Melissa Runk, who put everything together. Brad got to leave his little bubble in Morris and go somewhere else and talk dairy all day. So I'm sure he's thrilled. We're very happy for you, Bradley. Yes, that's all we really are. It just continue to just live through Bradley's experiences. That's that's really what we do on the podcast. Absolutely. And I'm getting rid of my cows and heifers tomorrow, but I'm going to bring some more home. So I'll probably have one left, but more jerseys. That's, uh, that's good. You couldn't, couldn't even go probably 24 hours without animals at your place. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> More progress at the Brad Hines Funny Farm. The Funny Farm. Exactly. <laughs> all right. So, Joe, what's on the docket today? Today, we are giving an update. We started a case study, uh, Brad and I did, a while ago about a heifer grower and to catch up on everything so that everyone's on the same page it would be good for you to go back and listen to that so that you know where we left off that episode is is episode 144 heifer grower case study number one uh, you can listen to brad and i walk through the background and what the problem was at this farm and the recommendations we were planning to make if we didn't like myself listen to episode 144 and aren't going to go back and listen to it before we listen to this episode. What are the essentials we need to know? What did you and Bradley cover last time uh, to, to set up this case study? Most of what we found was on the management side. We kind of walked through the whole system to figure out what could be possibly going wrong and where were calves breaking and, and having issues. And most of what we found was calves were breaking between five and nine weeks and they were getting sick and then dying in that time frame, which was right around weaning, uh, which was being done at six weeks. Our main recommendations were to feed more milk and potentially a different kind of milk because they're feeding a 2020. And we were hoping to see a 2420 or a 2620, uh, preferably a 2620, and then move the weaning age later if we could. So those were the main things we were looking at with this heifer grower and we think would make the biggest difference. Where are we today now? I, I think we have some answers to some questions. Some of the answers that we have, we were what we were waiting on was diagnostic lab reports to see if what we had historically found at this farm was the same that we're finding now. And it turns out that it is. We were worried about Salmonella Dublin and that is what we found with the diagnostic reports was that salmonella was the the diagnosis for why these calves died. And I say that, you know, maybe with a little bit of air quotes, because really why these calves died, in my opinion, was due to management issues that we needed to fix. Salmonella Dublin is the culprit or the uh, the end result of probably some management things that needed to be fixed. Where we're at now is that we went to this farm and we said, hey, here's what we recommend happens. And that starts the conversation of what's actually going to happen, because you can always offer, you know, here's what would be the gold standard. 
And then you have to make it work within the logistics of that farm, the economics of that farm, all the different things. Space, we talked about being a huge difficulty with most of these farms. So that's where we we are now. We've confirmed it is Salmonella Dublin. Uh, that's that's probably causing our, our issue at, at the end, but it's probably based on our, our review of the system, a management issue that we need to fix. And now it's how do we get as close to the gold standard as possible without breaking the bank or running short on labor, all of those things. Let, let us remind everybody what, what Salmonella Dublin does and, and what's it doing to these calves and when are they catching it and at what age. And I think that might help with you know how we move forward with this, just in case we forgot. Salmonella Dublin is a bad bug. It does cause pretty severe disease. Like we talked about last week, it looks a little different than a normal respiratory bug. To me, you see as more of a systemic illness uh, rather than it being isolated to the lungs. And you traditionally don't see a ton of coughing. You just see calves that look like garbage. Uh, they have a high fever. Usually we see some sort of diarrhea along with that. It, it spreads everywhere. It goes to pretty much every organ, all the lymph nodes, everything. It's a bad one. It's a bad one. But when you open these animals up, a lot of times they do have liver failure and they appear like highlighter yellow, like all of their fat appears highlighter yellow, which is just a sign of liver failure or icterus. That's what we're dealing with. The age that we see it is usually around any kind of stressful event for that calf because it's usually there and around potentially a problem but doesn't rear its head until we have some kind of immune suppression in some way and that's what we're seeing with this farm in my opinion is that weaning at six weeks and dropping to half milk at five weeks and then having calves start to get sick at five weeks and die anywhere between five weeks and nine weeks that that perfectly lines up with weaning being the stressor. So the goal is to figure out how to remove that stress, get the calves better to begin with before they get there, and then hopefully not have a problem at all. And Joe, I think you did a nice job explaining that, you know, when you were talking earlier about how, yes, the calves died of Salmonella Dublin, but there were probably other reasons that, you know, that was what took them down. To me, it kind of sounds like maybe some of these management errors were the cause. And then the effect of that was the Salmonella Dublin. Sounds like, you know, your recommendation is really looking at those management practices and figuring out what can be changed there to see if that helps with the situation. That's where we're at, because unfortunately, Salmonella Dublin usually becomes fairly endemic in a population. So once it's there, it's there. So your focus has to be, how do I prevent the stress that kicks that off into having an issue? And there's a vaccine as well. We can get into that discussion later, but all in all, the solution is management. It's not through a needle. Our recommendation, as we talked about last week, was to feed the calves more milk and a different kind of milk. The, the minimum that we, we want to see is a gallon twice a day or three quarts three times a day. And we talked about how much we hate two-quart bottles. Yeah, that's a big discussion. I, I hate two-quart bottles. But when we come to the heifer grower, we have to have that in the light of, okay, how are we going to make this economically feasible for them? Where are we willing to compromise to get as close as we can and still do the best by the calves? And one of the ways that 
that we talked through with the heifer grower was what kind of milk are they going to feed? We recommended 2620, but 2420 was very available and easy for them to acquire someone they were already working with. So that one, we were willing to say, you know what, if we're going to feed a higher volume, which they were, let's go ahead and go with the 2420. And that's that's an easy compromise to make, especially if we're going to commit to feeding more volume. So that's one of the compromises we made. Is it absolutely ideal according to the research we have? No, but it's a lot closer than we were before. And that that's what we're trying to focus on is these big improvements. And then we'll come back, monitor and see if it is working or not, because that's a big piece of this as well. It's always tough because, you know, you, you, you talk to the heifer grower, obviously cost comes to mind, you know, so it's like, oh, well, if we feed more and feed a different repl replacer, you know, the costs are going to go up. So I understand that. However, we've probably lost more money in calves dying or other health problems, future milk production, than what it would be if we just, you know, fed a little bit more milk in the beginning and maybe reduced our death loss or our scours or respiratory problems. So sometimes, yeah, it's nice to think about the economics at that point in time, but there's always future consequences that may cost you more than just feeding a little bit extra at that time. And and the, the trickiest part with a heifer grower, in my opinion, from the dairy side of things, is that there's basically a two-year leg before you see the effect of what's going on on the calf side. So you don't see that animal enter the milking population and see the results of how well your heifer growing operation did until then. You know, if calves aren't dying at a super high rate, but they potentially aren't growing very fast and they're getting sick, that can be harder to keep track of. And then all of a sudden you have a problem two years down the road and you're stuck with that same grower or you got to fix things. And then you see potentially, you know, another leg before it's fixed, because now you've got two years worth of animals that were raised that way. If you're not keeping up on it on a fairly regular basis, and, and that's going to hurt production for the dairy. So from a heifer grower standpoint, you want to be thinking quite a ways down the road so that when you deliver a product, which is what you're doing at the end of the growing phase is delivering a product back to the dairy. And that product better be good or your reputation goes downhill. Pretty tough balance, like Brad was saying, with economics uh, of trying to make money as the grower, but deliver a product that's going to work really, really well for the dairy at the end of the day. So one of the other things we talked about was weaning age. And I think that was really critical. You know, Brad and I talked a lot about what we would want it to be if we got our choice. And that, that varies widely across the industry, but the later, the better really becomes the answer in a lot of ways. Balancing it economically, I think somewhere between eight, nine weeks is, is a good spot to start. When we came to the dairy and said, you know, we want a minimum of seven weeks, but eight weeks would be better. Nine weeks would be even better than that. The heifer grower just couldn't do that because of space. And the way they manage these calves is they want them to wean and then stay in the barn for an extra week so they can be watched after weaning. That allows them to be flexible, like we talked about, with weighing grain to make sure that those calves are eating a certain amount of grain before they are weaned. And it gives them a little flex in there. So they were pretty stuck on wanting it to be seven weeks. That That's up for debate. That's just what we landed on because it works for their labor and their space. But seven weeks is... We're going to try seven weeks at weaning. So half milk at six weeks and then 
weaning at seven weeks instead of half milk at five and weaning at six. And then they'll stay in the barn for another week where they can be watched and then they'll go into small groups. So again, a little bit of a compromise, but space is space. That's the way it works. I think that seven weeks is a good compromise because industry standard is eight to nine weeks. But if you're going to feed more milk to these calves, I think it's probably a good compromise for the heifer grower. And I think they'll see improvements, less disease, better weight gain. And maybe in the future, they will bump it up to eight or nine weeks. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Yeah, I think the important thing here is that they were, you know, willing to compromise and, and at least being able to change something, maybe not right up to the amount that was recommended, but still working towards that. You know, I think that we need to not have all or nothing thinking in that, oh, well, I can't, I can't do the 2620, so I'm just not going to do anything. You know, I can't do a 2620, but I can do the 20, the 2420. I, I can bump up to seven weeks. Uh, you know, I think those things are are important to think about. You know, you need to move towards a goal, no matter how small the step is. Another thing I wanted to get into that Joe already alluded to a little bit is vaccinations. We we know there is a disease. We know there is a vaccine for it. We're very excited and we want to use it. But as we know from from the many, many, many times you have stood on your soapbox and talked about vaccines. It isn't always the tool that you need. So I'm just wondering if you can dive a little deeper uh, in into that discussion and possibly when a vaccine, you know, would be useful. Yeah, this one is difficult because Salmonella Dublin has very mixed evidence on whether or not the vaccine is effective. And it's really difficult to know if you also change management issues at the same time. So if I start the vaccine and I change management at the same time, how would I know which one is working? You would have to eventually drop the vaccine and see if something changes. Now, in this case, they were already vaccinating for Salmonella Dublin, and they were still having horrible issues. Now, like a lot of vaccines, we're not trying to prevent infection. We're trying to reduce clinical signs of the disease when it does happen. But in a lot of cases, we're seeing once these animals get sick, they're dead. There, there's not, there doesn't seem to be any in between in this case. I think there, there is a little bit of issue in, in how they were giving the vaccines just because they were stacking stress a little bit. And some of it was geared towards handling and when you give the vaccines uh, because they were already being handled anyway. But, you know, they, they were picking up these calves between two and three, four days old. And then as soon as they arrived after a trailer ride to a new environment with calves they didn't know, they were dropping them off, putting them in a new environment and on the way vaccinating them. So to me, we're stacking the stress of movement, new environment everything of that stress with vaccination and during that time period it's not really the appropriate time to be vaccinating calves because of the way we know their immune system works so we try to avoid that specific time period that they were vaccinating anyway i don't want to bore anybody with the details of slogging through the logistics of how is this going to work and the labor and trying to balance when you're handling calves and deciding 
how to prioritize, where you're going to stress them, because you're going to stress them at some point. Uh, but we reworked things with keeping all that in mind to try and delay when we vaccinate so the calves are a little less stressed and they have time to to get in their new pen and get up on milk and get up on feed before we stress them out with a vaccine. And then we change some other things again to stop, try to not stack stress with weaning especially. So we moved dehorning procedures and those kind of things earlier uh, and some other vaccines around just to, to get that away from the other stressful events in that calf's life. And I think that's where I'll leave it because there was a lot of back and forth and compromise and labor logistics considerations when this was all said and done. Okay, so there was some really good things that Heifer Girl was doing. And I think we covered some of that last week. But I think it's really important if there's if there's any young veterinarians out there thinking about doing this kind of thing, going to your clients with this, if all you do is come in and tell them all the things they're doing wrong, that's a bad eye, bad idea, bad idea. Every operation's doing a lot of things right, or else they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be in business still. So you got to find those things as well. And it's really important to point that out. And this heifer grower specifically was doing an excellent job of cleaning and disinfecting. I mean, immaculate which is crazy that they were still having problems with something like Salmonella Dublin, but they were because of the other management issues. But they were doing an excellent job cleaning, disinfecting. So we we reiterated that while we were meeting, went over what they were using, how they were doing it. They're all out, all in, all out, and how awesome that was and how hard it was to get other people to do it that way. So uh, I think it's really good to point out they're doing that super well. They were also communicating super well with the dairies. So the dairies where they're sourcing calves, and I think I might have said this wrong on our last episode about this, this heifer girl was actually taking blood and doing total proteins on all the animals so they could report back to the dairies how their classroom program was going. Excellent idea, time investment, but super value-added service that you can provide that to your dairy as a heifer grower. So they're going to continue to do that because that's really, really great. You got to point out the good. You can't just focus on on the things that need to change because they, they were doing a lot of things very, very well. And and those things that they're doing good, that's what you can really use to help support the other changes. It's more building up on those things, like Joe was saying, you know, and we just need to make sure we're using all of our tools in our toolbox, like we always say here. But yeah, I think that that's a, an important point. They also keep very good records on their calves. They really have low health problems, low scours, low respiratory problems. This is kind of a little hiccup going on. But overall, you know, this heifer grower raises nice calves. So I think that's one thing that shows as well. They are a great heifer grower, and they raise great calves with low disease. There's just once in a while some farms, and we all have these farms. We, it happens in Morris, too like whoa we got something going on we need to figure this out and make it better and improve joe what is next for for this heifer raiser i feel like we've had some recommendations made some changes have been made some some improvements have been seen but i imagine there's there's still some more to come yeah absolutely anytime i make recommendations like like this i really want to know what happens because that tells you whether or not you were justified especially with this place, like Bradley was saying, they have really great records. So we're going to be able to see the change with data. 
with not just a, a subjective, oh yeah, everything seems better. We're gonna, we should see differences, whether it's average daily gain or um, treatment, everything. We're gonna see a lot changes and it's gonna be cool is what I'm trying to say. I'm kind of nerding out when I visit dairies like this or heifer growers like this, because if I make a recommendation and I can see the change, that that just is awesome. It makes me feel so good that I actually went to school for a long time and it meant something. And I'm able to help this producer be better. And it's a meaningful change. And of course, when we have numbers like that, we can also use it to justify recommendations in the future. Um, and we can put econo more economic data to these decisions. Uh, it just is a great way to justify my schooling and then all the other things that we do in extension when we can see that our recommendation resulted in a very tangible change. I'm glad you got your money's worth, Joe. <laughs> well, and I would say that's, you know, this is a little bit of a sidebar um, and going to sound kind of cheesy, but that's really what extension is about, you know, is kind of this idea of applied research of we have some ideas, let's let's see what works, you know, let's use them, let's keep track of of the data so we have something to look back on. Uh, you know, and and it's so cool that that's what we get to do as part of our jobs is is, you know, I think of just these little research projects with with farms. It's it's super cool. The changes that we made or that we're trying to make now, they're gonna take a while to take effect and to really get an answer because we have to allow uh, them to work for a while and allow calves to grow and work through the system before we can get that data back and see if it's making a difference. So, so that's where we're at. We're, at. we're gonna keep track of this farm, not gonna forget about it, but part three might be a, a ways in coming because we gotta let things develop uh, so that we can see if these recommendations are making a difference. Don't be waiting on the edge of your seat for for part three but but we will we will follow up on this we will circle back we're gonna wrap it there if you have questions comments or scathing rebuttals about today's episode you can email those to the moose room at umn.edu that's t-h-e-m-o-o-s-r-o-o-m at umn.edu you can also call and leave us a voicemail for a chance to be featured on a future episode of the moose room that number is 612-624-3610. You can also find us on Twitter at UMN Moose Room. And for more about Extension, you can visit our website, extension.umn.edu. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure what I should be asking next. Well, I was so <laughs> 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 <laughs>